0: stand alone Though I said I'd go before us And show the way back home They're alive
1: You're listening to Studs and my guest this week is Troy Nixie. Uh, Troy has a whole bunch of different comics in weird diasporic spots. I so, like trying <laughs> to like uh, have a narrative, and it's kind of like jumps around. Uh, the main thing folks will know, I think, is Jenny Finn story with, with Mike Mignola and the doom that came to Gotham. Yeah, also, also with Mike, yeah. With Mr. Mignola. And um, the new thing you're doing with, oh my god, why is his name jumping out of my head? I can't. Is it the name of Gentry? No, the other. V- Car Carrie Andrews, yeah. you know, the the, the other Vancouverite. Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, he's in Coquitlam, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, we were talking to, to him about doing an interview, and then he just stopped replying to emails.
2: He is, well, he has three kids, for one. And he is just busy constantly, because he is not only doing comics, but he's, he's actually been directing a lot of television lately. He wanted to do an interview. He actually yeah.
1: said, hey, anyone, we're
2: like, let's do it.
1: So I'll, right, I'll kick him in the pants for you. If you're ya. listening, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's an
3: interesting thing, because, because you guys occupy a very specific spot of you're the guys who have fairly, fairly comfortable comic careers where you can do whatever you want, and also end up uh, doing a lot of film work.
2: Well, him him much more than I. I. He he really went at it. Great, uh, great guns. I had a very sort of specific idea in terms of the type of movie stuff that I wanted to do, and knowing, you know, what what my visual take is on things and and what really excites me, um, is sort of a much smaller when smaller window than Kari's. Kari can think much broader than I, and so he has the ability to sort of bring himself to things that i just would have absolutely no interest in doing and and um, but yeah, so lately he's been doing television and really enjoying that because it's 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 a lot different than building a movie in that you you know that stuff already exists and you're coming in for maybe two episode chunks right, and there's or something. A tone
3: that you can match where, where y- yeah, like a lot of the things of your work is you you have your tone. If somebody wants it, then they can come to you. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and too, and that I mean he certainly can bring himself and his vision to to a television show. And so I mean he's not going to just go and direct. He's not going to do a soap opera or anything. Well, maybe he would. I don't know. But you know, he's doing he's doing sort of like the action oriented stuff, which is which really is his passion. He loves the action stuff.
3: Maybe we should back up and and start talking about some of your influences and and where you started initially. Yeah, Yeah. I want to talk about Bill the Clown. Bill, (laughs)
2: well, it's funny because I started in comics and uh, back in the early '90s, and looking back now at that work, I really was not ready to draw comics, but I was very enthusiastic about the idea of
3: drawing comics. And so what was your first what was your first work the, that you the
2: very done? first thing was uh, a mini series, a three issue miniseries for Monster Comics, which was a sister company to Fanagraphics.
1: Oh you yeah. Remember Monster Comics? That's where they did like their uh what's his name that did Megaton Man. He had like a gorilla Don, comic. John Simpson. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, there was some cool stuff that was uh, that was done. Ryder Wyndham actually was sort of the head of that. He, uh, yeah, and so. Um,
3: so was that kind of an attempt to branch out to because, like, Fan is your art comics, and then you've got your porn at Eros, and then you've got yeah. monsters like their Dark Horse line, almost? Well, yeah,
2: it was sort of more their their sort of horror action kind of kind of uh, um, genre. Yeah, and I don't think the I don't think it lasted that long. But my, so I did a three issue miniseries, and it is. It, and it's funny because someone I did a show a few years back, and someone brought them up, the three issues up, and I just laughed and laughed and laughed because I hadn't seen them in forever. And so I wrote it and drew it, and it was just a terrible Conan ripoff. Just How old were you Oh, I would have been twenty-one. And um, yeah, but I was I was raw. rah raw. Like I, there are there are people who at that age were you know were drawing circles around me, but um, you know I think that. That uh, I like, I said I was very enthusiastic, and I think that came out. And so it was about that time. So I did that, and I started doing stuff for slave labor, which was where Bill the Clown was. Oh, okay. uh, Dan right. working with Dan Vado. Is Dan Vado? So this um, must have
3: been like early mid '90s.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and then with Gary Reed, who recently passed away, that was actually was really surprising, because yeah. I had talked to Gary recently. Um, because I I did a recent cover for him for um you know for their for his anthology book and so I was really happy when he announced that Caliber was was going to come back because I that was I did I drew Dead World for for a bunch of issues and oh, yeah. yeah and so just sort of slogged around trying to find a creative voice at that time and sort of really struggling uh, but thankfully. You know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but you know, most people don't when they're just starting off. Did but, you have
3: a place that you that you saw yourself that you were you wanted to be when you were starting out? No, I had
2: no idea at the time. Um, I when I was younger, I wanted to draw Marvel comics like most of us do, Marvel and DC, but as I got older and started to find the indie stuff, that's what I really gravitated towards in terms of reading, and so it just made sense that that's what I wanted to 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 draw as well.
3: and Was there any specific books that clicked with you?
2: You know, it was funny. I didn't know comic stores existed until I was in grade 6. And living in Lethbridge at the time, and went to a mall... That was sort of a, is
1: a very uh redneck town in Alberta, Canada's Texas. Well, it's just, it's, just so we get some context. It's really not yeah.
2: redneck. It's it's no? it's no, it's 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 funny cuz it actually has the highest density of Mormons outside of Utah. So it's actually a, quite a a religious town to be <laughs> honest.
3: Don't don't, don't like that it's like a backward southern place. It's actually very Mormon. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> It is I had five moms. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it
2: was it was it's a very it's a very sort of very religious town and uh, uh, like you know for years, oh, you're and, years of and years more
3: mom by the way, by the
2: way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you couldn't you couldn't go shopping on Sundays forever like the mm-hmm. like everything was closed on Sundays but so yeah I found a comic store and was was reading Marvel stuff at the time but I also remember. I think it was around the time that Ronin came out and Camelot three thousand came out, and that's the stuff that I was getting oh, nice. really excited about. And then I just started reading like black and white comics like crazy when that when that boom happened. And there was a lot of bad stuff, but there was also a lot of, a lot of really good stuff. And so that just fueled the fire. And there was a desire to go to film school when I graduated high school, but I'm, you know and, and when I graduated high school I was in Saskatoon at the time. But so I graduated nineteen ninety you know we were middle class we weren't poor but we weren't rich so there was really nowhere for me to go mm-hmm. and and so it was comics was sort of the automatic it's like well i can tell stories i can draw and so you know let's
3: go at this and so are you submitting your work by going to shows or just through the mail
2: through the mail like it was, i think amazing Hero, heroes at the time <clears throat> used to publish all the companies in the back with all the addresses and so mm-hmm. i was just sending out packages And that's how the how the uh, the monster comics thing came up and and uh, got a lot of lot of rejection letters, but nice rejection letters. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, and then there was some companies that were that were interested, and uh, so thankfully my parents were super supportive because I wasn't making any money, but they let me live with them. I was drawing in the basement until you know my early twenties, and they just said they just considered it my university. It's like well, we would have paid for you to go to university, so to us this is the same thing.
3: That's so.
1: That's so reasonable. Yes. <laughs> now, I want to know a little bit about your Saskatoon experience because you knew uh, our good friend Robin Bougie, who is uh, in the new issue of Ireland that Brandon just pulled out for us from his bag, um, and Dave Collier. I guess you knew him.
2: I didn't. I did. I know. Oh. I know who. I knew who. He, certainly knew who he was, uh, but I didn't know him. He was. Uh, sort of this very elusive character and I was drawn to his work because it wasn't like anything I'd seen it was, yeah. that was, it was sort of really the first slice of life stuff that I was introduced to and um, I don't think I've actually ever met him Dave is the like quintessential iconic
1: Canadian cartoonist yeah. um, when I interviewed him the first, actually I think it's the only time I've interviewed him, I mean, no I've interviewed him twice first time I interviewed him he was a late and it was a live broadcast on the radio at c i t r and He's he was apologizing li- to a Mountie, and I really lo- he was s- s- For rest- really was Canada jokes uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about that <laughs> he, he was he was in a creek bathing in a creek, yeah at the family cottage, like his father in law's cottage he was in the creek bathing, and that he lost track of time
2: that's, that's amazing
1: that's, that's that's like a collier thing, just yeah like very uh very wonderful what would listers know collier from um what is a good collier comic uh chimo that came out conundrum is really amazing it's about how he tried to re-enlist in the military after the age of 40 and it didn't go well
2: no (laughs) well you can imagine i mean it's not really 40 year olds aren't really their target
1: no and then he did time as a uh resident artist on a i think a submarine or something oh really yeah and that's yeah it's really fascinating he's like that's pretty cool actually. he's like the cartoonist cartoonist like if you ask chris where who some of his favorite cartoonists are he'll you'll probably list collier
2: ah. like, well it's interesting because they say that uh um you know for people uh, signing up for the navy that the best that the best uh, um the best candidates are people from the East Coast and people from Saskatchewan, because you're just op- you're just used to wide open spaces. Yeah. So when you're at sea, it doesn't bother you, which is really interesting. Of course, East Coast, you know, they're just they're so, you know, intrinsically tied to the to the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> much more so than, than us on the West Coast. But uh, yeah.
1: did you interact with Bugushi much?
2: No, I just I just knew him. I knew him and uh, and Rebecca, and just sort of very casually. I'm sure it was sort of just sort of going to the same comic shop kind of thing, but yeah. I, and uh, um, yeah, so just knew knew him, but it wasn't you know we didn't really we didn't really hang out or anything. So so was Vancouver your next stop after Saskatoon? Yeah, yeah. So I've been here for nearly twenty years now. So did you not have
3: a group of of friends that did art when you were starting out?
2: Not really. Um, So I knew Kari, he sort of came along a little later. I did know him in Saskatoon. He's a few years younger than me. Um, But yeah, there wasn't, like, there was a few of us, like, I had my best friend in high school, Jason, who was an artist, but he wasn't, like, a comic book guy or Mm -hmm. anything like that. We used to do a lot of airbrushing at that time. Uh, But yeah, there wasn't really a huge comic, like, family or group or, you know, of friends at all at that time, and... Uh, which is unfortunate because that would have been, I think, really awesome. Uh, I started to find that more when I moved here and, uh, you know, I became friends with Steve Skros early on and, uh, and, um, started to get a few, get to know a few more people. I mean, certainly not like the group that is here now. I mean, it's amazing the amount of people that live here now.
3: Secret Uh,
2: Portland. Yeah. (laughs) Well, except that everyone's leaving now, but, uh. No, just the three of you. <laughs> just you, that?
1: You, Curtis Weave, and Ed listen And, right. and right. that's fine. Like a, we don't need you guys. This is an elaborate
3: lie that is trying to think That's that the right. Vancouver comic scene is moving to Kelowna. <laughs>
2: Kelowna and Calgary. Move to Calgary. <laughs> no.
3: I don't, want, I don't want to experience winter.
2: <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. You experience winter. It just rains here all the time. It's wonderful. And it's funny because everyone's everyone's sort of giving me the gears about that. It's like, well, oh, you get the snow. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to get the sun, too. After 20 years I I never did get used to the to the rain. See like
1: I grew up in Vancouver. Brandon grew up in Seattle. Oh yeah, so this is
3: this is our um
2: Yeah, I grew up in Southern Alberta in Saskatchewan. I know what I'm getting into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take me and Robin
3: out of this thing when we go into hyperbellic shop. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But yeah, I mean, and then, but yeah, it was it was it was interesting because there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't like a huge sort of support group in Saskatoon. And but I did sort of start to grow one in Vancouver. And I followed my sister out; she had moved here uh, previously. So I followed her out and just started chipping away and and still trying to do comics. And and I was struggling with it um, sort of the whole time that I was doing it. It was fun. Probably for the first couple of years, and then it was, um, and I mean, fun in the sense that you know it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm drawing, which is okay. Um, people seem to like it, which is which was great. But there was just something there that wasn't that wasn't really hitting it for me, mm-hmm. and it just sort of that just started to grow and grow and grow more when I got to Vancouver, and I you know sort of never really put my my thumb on what it was, but. Being really obstinate, I just kept pushing forward because I didn't know what else you know, I wanted to do until the opportunity, until um, one of my comics was optioned, and that sort of gave me an opportunity to think about movie stuff again.
3: Before we get into movies, because the first time I ever saw it used to work, I think it was either the Dark Horse or an Oni double feature. I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere, and at the time, the 90s was a weird time as a comic reader. Yeah. Because there weren't, um, it it's was the shadow of Wild Storm. It was very much carried far. It was very noise. much like the two-party system where you had dramatically indie comics like Dan Klaus and, and Chris Ware and those guys were, were kind of making a name for themselves and then you had superhero comics which were more superhero comics than they had ever been before or after. You know, there was not, it was the, like the Liefeld era. There yeah. Was not a lot of wiggle room in that. And so guys like you and Paul Pope that kind of came out of that era felt really rare where you weren't um, hitting... You, You felt very much like you were doing your own work and not part of either side of that?
2: Yeah, it's funny because I was never really good at copying things. And so I certainly was reading a lot of stuff, but there was no one who I could... I could sort of point my finger at and go, I want to be able to tell stories like this person or draw like this person because I knew that I would fail miserably. Right. And I always had those things that really interest, interested me outside of comics that I would then sort of bring into my stories. And I'm, I've always been fascinated by history. And so, like, old photography, I'm like, I'm still, like, I constantly just, I'll just go, you know, on Google and just look at old photographs of stuff mm-hmm. and just constantly pulling stuff off and putting into folders. And I may never look at it again well, or it might become something.
3: Like?
2: Yeah, what it's just, I, I think a lot of it is just sort of this, this, the sort of. Well, there's the the aspect of it, just there's that was sort of a very fussy era. You know, everyone's always dressed really nice, Mm -hmm. and but you you know, they probably all really smell, but you know, they're in really (laughs) nice clothes. And I I just love the concept of of the designs of their clothes, and then they're standing beside these old machines that are that are just there's, there's a lot of thought and design put into them and 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 craftsmanship and they're big and unwieldy and and you know there's 12 gauges now where you know you don't even need that anymore and so i was always drawn drawn to that i didn't have no idea where it comes from does it
3: does it feel um comfortable to you or is it the opposite
2: no it feels so comfortable to me i i just i love that stuff and I'd never want to live in that era, but I would love to be able to visit and just, and, and look at that stuff. And yeah, it feels very, very comfortable to me. And so whenever I'm creating a story, it doesn't matter what it is. There's always going to be that sensibility in what I do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm drawing, like, if you just leave me to my own devices, it's like, I'm going to give you like sort of a mid 1800s to an early 1900s kind of sensibility in there. And I poach, you know, from there, and, right. and mix and match, and and add to it, and uh, you know, and and really enjoy doing so, and and give no rhyme or reason for it. But uh,
3: but, but it does feel like there's a um, an aesthetic that you're that you're coming from that that doesn't feel. It's interesting because the guys I mentioned earlier, like especially like Chris Ware, like he's coming from an era where he almost feels like he's um he's he's kind of working to make work that you could even get back there. and but your work has such a um I, I guess it has a timelessness to it where it doesn't feel like it's it's certainly not from the era that you're drawing yeah but it's it's like you have got the beats down or something and it's almost like i can't quite put a finger on where you got that from past the the old photographs well i'm wondering things. about like um oh
1: god now i can't think of his name the french guy Jacques Chirac. (laughs) (laughs)
2: He did the... the, Tardy?
1: Tardy, yeah. Oh, yeah, Let's talk a little bit about Tardy. Was he...
2: Yeah, but he came later for me. And and, and that's what... Sort of the wonderful thing about growing up on the prairies is that I didn't have this sort of open um, um, bank of knowledge to find these artists. I was finding all these guys later. I will say that that some of it probably comes from my love of Tintin, which is which was sort of the first comics that I read. My mom was a massive supporter of all like me and my siblings reading. And so we would go to the library and every week and we would get books out and I was always allowed to take out one Asterix and one and, and one and one Tintin as long as I also took out some, you know, some other books. Right. And but Tintin just fascinated me and it more was asterisk m- much much more than Asterix. I, I i read Asterix because it was comics mm-hmm. but i read tintin because i loved it and See,
3: that yeah i'm the opposite well it's interesting because i almost feel like you have this um you you have this kind of uh stylized ugliness to a lot of stuff you draw yeah where tintin like every it's even the ugly people are very pretty where asterisk the like our heroes, are just like have like these giant alcoholic noses. Yes,
2: baldest red noses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, well, it's funny because, I, and I don't know where the idea came from for me to sort of just make everyone look really sort of like a like a bowl of mashed potatoes. <laughs> I don't. I'm, almost, I'm almost wondering now if,
3: <laughs> if being around lots of religious people tied into your work because you're there is that kind of button down uh, control because your stuff has like this that very formal.
2: Yeah. Well, like, yeah. you know, it, it's it's interesting because. I never, that really never sort of, or I, I don't think anyways, in, like directly affected me in that I was quite naive when I was growing up in, in, in Lethbridge and I certainly had friends that were, that were Mormon and sometimes I was allowed to go to their houses and sometimes I wasn't and I but I never understood why. Right. Did and you just
1: like keep bringing coke to the house. No, yeah, but they. they I, think, yeah. dogs.
2: <laughs> I think they. I think they can drink Coke now. I'm not sure, but, but uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just it was just this. This formality that I liked to then push into sort of really bizarre, absurd situations. And
3: what's your relationship with H.P. Lovecraft stuff? Is that like nothing?
2: Like you I, you must get really? constantly yeah. thrown at you. At the... Constantly. And like I have like he's interesting to me. I I'm I'm not like Mike who loves H P. Lovecraft, I've I've read a little bit, but it doesn't really resonate with me. It's
3: a little too anti Semitic for you.
4: Well
2: it just is is it's kind of dry. For but that me. goes
3: back to the interesting thing about your work is it doesn't feel like like that would be the obvious. Like, oh, he's yeah. a Lovecraft guy. But, but
2: you know why I drew like tentacles? Because I loved octopuses. It was. Right. It was. It wasn't because I didn't even think of like the monster aspect of it. And you know, talking about the the bacon um, comic that I did in Oni Double Feature, where there's just oh, yeah. mutant fish everywhere, and I really, at the time, I, I remember thinking about, and I think about a lot of sort of social aspects of of, of what what goes on, like what we consume and how we live. And and it comes out in my work in sort of maybe not so obvious ways, but in obviously really weird ways. Mm-hmm. And and for me, Bacon was sort of that, like talking about the process process um, of of how we eat and what we eat. And and I just did it with you know with, with really weird trappings. Is and Bacon <laughs> one of those
3: things? Is that is that book something that people can find now?
2: No. Well, if they can find those issues of Only Double Feature, they I've had people go, Hey, we'll put it out again. But, uh, Those
3: are really good issues. Because we talked earlier about how, um, like, like I, I would always, you know, my and my constant complaining about everything. I, I had this <laughs> this theory where only double feature. It was it was a it was a fantastic anthology book that only put out that was half. Let's say ten or fifteen pages of one comic. Yeah, it was
2: it was two it was two stories it per issue. It was a double feature. It was a yeah. double feature. Yeah.
3: And, and the 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 my endless frustration with it was that. Every issue that I loved had a fantastic story in it and a story that I just felt like they knew was garbage and were just putting in it because if I'm going to buy Hope's car crash, then they know I'm going to get... I See, I don't even remember what the other one... It might as well have just been, like... Someone's listening right now. And just It's like, that was me! <laughs> yeah, <saying> right. <laughs> it, was, it was like the Panda Brothers or something. That I didn't want to. And nothing gets them, but they're not Paul Pope. <laughs> well, all <and, laughs> uh, the Pander
2: Brothers, but uh, I, I mean, but it and is interesting. But DJ but they, I think they really, they they really, they, I think they really did a, a kind of a cool thing where they really tried to put like really really different stories in each in each comic. and and I think Bob Bob Shrek really really pushed that. Right. And um, so, but I was in the yeah the same issues as, as Bill Sankovich. Yeah, and you yeah. made issue was just like this goldmine. Yeah. Like, gold mine,
3: like oh, they must have messed up. Like, <laughs> two good
2: stories in this one. Well, and I, I was saying earlier, like just being in anything with Bill was was a major. You know, I was just I was blown away. I was like, oh, maybe I maybe I'm doing something right yeah, here.
3: And that was <laughs> interesting because that was like kind of post the Sankovich era as well.
2: Yeah, he had, I mean, it was, was it Afternoon Mutants and stuff? That
3: was after the non-existent Batman thing. I yeah. yeah, I think that was after or before his... I'm terrible with remembering Because I always before. feel like Sienkiewicz's kind of body of work kind of ended with the voodoo... Um, oh, the Jimi Hendrix. The Jimi Hendrix book. Yeah, and that was even after the Jimi Hendrix book. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah that was like, like ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I, it's like you're you're coming into my to my sphere of understanding as he was leaving almost.
2: Ah, well, you know, and it, it's I think that a lot of those, uh, like with Bill, certainly he would have had a really good relationship with Bob. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, to, to and I mean, that's the thing is like Bob knows absolutely. I guess we should. Mean, Oni
3: was interesting because they were started by uh, Shrek, who left Dark Horse to kind of create his. Yeah. Um, company that he couldn't. almost like his perfect company. Um, and then he left for T.C. Yeah, well, it's a weird... <laughs> Oni's an interesting, like, um... But... A, a hope that it became something else.
0: It's
2: Well, and it's funny that, I mean, it <laughs> certainly was... how you, you feel. <laughs> Well, no, I mean,
3: I, I don't even mean that in a bad way. It's just, I don't think anyone at Oni is trying to follow through Shrek's vision of what it was. But no, in the early no, years, no. It was no, very no, much yeah. his... his um, like this, it was it was Shrek, being like this is what he wanted comics to be. Yeah, and so it's really interesting to see, you know, like work of yours. emerging well, I mean, there.
1: D- the double feature is very like that is Shrek and Jamie Rich. Like, oh, absolutely, just and like that's why there's stuff in there that you will not be into because Jamie had
3: some tastes that wouldn't
1: necessarily jive with.
2: Well, and what it, it was, it was great—it's
3: I mean, very much a their thing. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, it was, and, and and the thing is, like, where I came over into Oni was I had done Trout and Dark Horse Presents, oh, so of
3: so that was Bob and Jamie. Um, and Trout very much feels like along a lot of the same lines as. Is...
2: Yeah, like Trout was definitely, uh, and I look back at it now, and I I completely understand where, you know, the origin of it came from. Um, but yeah, that was me really starting to find my footing in terms of the, the types of stories I wanted to tell and and how visually I wanted to tell them, and you know I I, I really really started to understand it when um I hit Oni, and uh, um, started and did bacon like it was it was like I felt confident most of the time, and uh, um, it's it's we're recording in my office and we have. Building cleaners. Yes, I was happy was... to
1: grab the garbage. Oh. <laughs> I was like, for a
2: second?
1: Uh sure. I, can, uh, I mean, we can just continue. It's just going to be sound in the background. All right.
2: But yeah, so I mean, I, like I Oni was great, and I really found sort of really started to find my footing, and that's where Mike and I started. Jenny Finn was at Oni. Who was
3: your editor at Dark Horse Was that Jamie as well?
2: Yeah, it was Bob, and and Jamie was his assistant.
3: Okay, that's right. He was his assistant back then. Yeah. Young
2: Jamie, and I, I would I I, I mean he can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, uh, my trout stuff was some of the first stuff that he actually ever edited. Where he like he came on, and then they actually gave him some editorial, well, uh, nice. yeah, responsibilities. So.
1: He did some really neat stuff with the run and Dark Horse business. That's where um, uh, Dave Cooper did his. Um, oh yeah. Dan, yeah, yeah, Dan and Larry. Yeah, Dan and Larry, which yeah.
2: is like. Jamie's got some really—I mean, I—I like, I don't jibe with everything that Jamie likes, but when I do, it's like, oh yeah, like Jamie finds some really cool stuff.
1: Yeah,
2: and it's 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 and it, and he and he holds like he stands firm on it. It's like it's like you know like he really pushes it, and um, he's a really smart guy that way.
3: He's a Vertigo editor now, I believe. Yeah, is he the head?
2: Is he see he the head of Vertigo? Or Vertigo's he... kind
3: of. He's on his last legs, but.
1: Uh, I think he's half Vertigo, half uh, the whatever way thing is. Yeah, yeah.
3: I think that that's kind of New Vertigo. They're moving all yeah. the stuff over to it's
1: spelled N U with an of, like '90s metal.
2: Oh, yeah. That <laughs> was oh, true. I don't <laughs> I didn't even Where know. they start calling it that?
1: New, yeah. new, new It's like the Limb Bizkid of uh, <laughs> comic book. Uh... A
3: bunch of Limb biz kids. <laughs> um, Yeah, So it, yeah, it is interesting, because in some ways that that company is almost the just just on that same thing. It's almost like that's where that, that Dark Horse Presents Oni aesthetic is moved to, yeah, yeah. and then and that guy's editorial, who's the what's it? Yeah, we're talking business and not about your work. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: well, but we did. We just we ended up only doing because Jenny Finn was slated as four issues, and we only ended
3: up doing two at Oni, and then it kind of disappeared for a right. while. Oh, you mentioned the uh, the kind of impetus behind Trout that you figured that. What what was that? was that different than than uh, your Oni?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, trout sort of speaks to the to the bigger topic that I first contacted you guys about in terms of um, sort of overcoming some uh, uh, was basically was it was my subconscious going. You need to deal with something that happened to you in your past, and me really sort of refusing to do that uh, on you know on, the, on a personal emotional level, and so creatively it was it was coming out and in, into my work and. And, you know, the idea of an, of an isolated little boy being traumatized and, mm-hmm. and overcoming that is it like, it's just like brains and brains just like start dealing with this. And you were and, not
3: consciously trying to do that at the time?
2: No, uh, it, I just actually realized that not that long ago. And um, so, what I mean, I, when I was young, it was I was four or five years old and I had some unfortunate things happen to me. Um that uh, it was an older boy in the neighborhood and and it really sort of affected my life moving forward up until I started to really deal with it a few years ago, certainly. And I what had happened to and thankfully we moved Dora, who knows how long it would have continued on, but I basically just buried it at that time and uh, really, sort of looking back and going through lots of therapy and everything, I realized that I sort of disassociated with me just as the person and it just became me, the artist. And so that was my, my crutch. I put everything that was my giant bandaid was, mm-hmm. was my creativity because if I couldn't be the person, then, then that was because, you know, I must've done something really horrible for this to have happened to me so let's just forget that that part of me even exists. It certainly
3: gives a, an end to the kind of feeling of horror. And, and uh, there, is, there is kind of a feeling of trauma in your, certainly in that era of work.
2: Absolutely. Like in Jenny Finn yeah. and, and, and um, you know, with Trout especially. And, and so it, it hit me when I was uh, 19 in Saskatoon and it just all came flooding back. Like I literally had forgotten about yeah. it. Um, so you know, from age, I think it was four or five when it happened to to age nineteen, and I recognized that it had happened to me. Um, you know, I went to a counselor twice, and I thought, oh, all is all is well. But yeah, that's it. No, yeah, hour and a half of talking. Yeah, with yeah, and and really, it was just not not wanting to accept. Um, you know, what had happened to me and that it had affected me up until that point in my life. Wow. Little did I know that I was just going to carry that same thing. Because basically what I did is at age 19, I just reset Mm -hmm. from age five. And it's like, I'm a really horrible person, but I can do this thing. So let's just focus on this thing. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. That was my coping mechanism when I was a kid. And that was my coping mechanism when I was 19. And so and and it it worked i mean it was effective to the point where where i could just concentrate on work but what i didn't understand was how much of the negativity and the pain i was actually then putting into my ability to draw so Mm -hmm. drawing became a very painful process for me and to the point where there were times where i just couldn't even do it and so I struggled with it. I was, it was, it was just, I was an emotional wreck basically, but I was just choosing to keep ignoring it and keep ignoring it. And, um, it just just
1: makes things worse. It
2: does. And, and it started to affect my relationships. I was, you know, um, I had one really wonderful uh, girlfriend um, when I first moved to Vancouver and then it was sort of a succession of, of really, like, basically dating women who weren't going to challenge me emotionally because, okay. I, and I it just I just didn't want to admit that what had happened to me because I still blamed myself for it. Hmm. And I never talked about being an artist at all. I hated it. If someone brought it up, um, I'd quickly drop the subject because I just thought that, Oh, the more questions they ask, they're eventually going to find out what happened to me, mm-hmm. and then they're just going to think that I'm a horrible person. And it, it really came to a head yeah, probably about four or five years ago now where um, another a relationship ended. Um, it was terrible, and I just was laying there in misery, and I just admitted – I allowed myself – To recognize what had happened to me and take it on as a large portion of why I had made the decisions I had made up to that point and why I had not allowed myself to really enjoy any creative process for my basically my entire life up until then and that was about as low as I've ever been in my life and then I just started chipping away at it and I found you know, a really wonderful counselor to talk to, and just started working at it, and working at it, working at it, and I mean, it's—I I don't want to bum out the listeners or anything because it's actually—you know—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm on the other side of it now, and I'm at a point now where um, all that enthusiasm that—that that I wish I had had, mm-hmm. for, you know, those years that mm-hmm. that I was creating and not enjoying it—is is sort of coming out of me now. That's
3: that sounds like it coincides with your return to comics as well. It
2: really was. Um, you know, the movie thing had, I and, and like I, I chased down the movie thing much longer than I should have, because I thought that, that that was going to give me essentially some importance as a person. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, if I'm a movie director, then I, then I have some meaning and I see now how completely misguided all of that was. And as, as, great as an experience as making that movie was the business of making movies is horrible Mm -hmm. and i stayed in it far too long you know and it put me in a big financial hole and but i just would not resign myself to the fact because i hadn't hit that point where i needed to i needed to to, to take that swing and start moving up and i just I just, I just couldn't have it, couldn't hack it anymore, and and people, like, Kari was there, he's like, get back into comics, get back into comics, and I wasn't, I wasn't allowing myself to admit that, that, because, of course I couldn't, because there's still so much negative, negativity attached to the process of creating comics, it's like, that would be the most miserable thing ever, and then I hit that wall, and, and started chipping away at it, and then it's like, no, wait, I'm actually pretty good at this, and there's an immediacy to comics, And so this wasn't, like, an overnight thing. You know, it really was sort of a slow
3: process.
2: And I just started drawing again. And I never really quit drawing. I just never really showed anything to anyone.
3: I'm interested in um, if you ever had any connection with with Dave Cooper's work. Because he was certainly...
2: Absolutely. Dave's Dave is, is amazing. I reached out to Dave... I
3: can't remember
2: how i first oh i just met him out of san diego i remember years and years and years ago when i used to go and i bought a couple things from him and i gave him my comics and he liked my comics he had already he already was familiar with my comics and i just sort of kept in touch with with him um over the years and uh dave's a sweetheart like i was actually i was actually messaging him this morning (laughs) (laughs) that you ask wonderful
3: on record is one of the nicest guys he, he, he
2: really is and also and,
3: another creator his work is very has a darkness behind it because he's dealing with a lot of childhood abuse yeah
2: well he's just is is this and and it is like because he is the nicest guy like you look at his work and you're just like wow man this guy must be really fucked up and you meet him and he's just this guy with his giant smile mm-hmm. and it's just this very warm warm heart and so I immediately hit it off with Dave We actually did a two-man show a few years ago at a at a gallery in in Brooklyn, which was a lot of fun and yeah I have a I have a huge cooper painting original yes. painting hanging in my house. I always
3: think about why well, I met him at a signing in Vancouver and i'd I'd managed to disconnect him from his work, which is something that um, I do feel like both you and him like it like meeting the guy is is very different than you expect from the work because the work is probably hitting on a different personal level than than the social <laughs> yeah you get. and i think i i disassociated, disassociated that he was the guy from his work so much that when we were in a, a restaurant and i there was a moment where he was like checking out the waitress and i was like oh that's really weird and i was like oh it's it's dave cooper of course he's like <laughs> but the guy does nothing but like
2: draw a big pillowy <laughs> soft ground yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh
3: there's a there's like a You know, there's a pretty there's a pretty waitress with a big butt. Weird that he's looking at, (laughs) (laughs) but and you know, in in, In a very polite, nice way. Yes, Yes. Uh,
2: but Dave is, and he was he is one of those guys where you could like, and I did I have shared with him um, a lot of things because he's just one of those guys you know that you can trust, and he can give you a Mm. really nice perspective and. And 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 a heartfelt, um, you know, advice. And so, yeah, you you sort of seek out seek out people or fine people like Dave. And mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, no, he's great. He's a great pal. He's 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 awesome. Um,
1: I kind of want link into this because we were talking about Jenny Finn beforehand, and I'm wondering because you talked before about um, having not happy drawing, and is that kind of what happened with Jenny Finn? For folks that don't know. You kind of dropped off on the fourth issue. Of yeah, the four issues. Well,
2: the third. Like we did, we oh, finished. Okay. We finished two issues, and there was there was some things that, um, in the past, you know, not to throw anyone under the bus in terms of like like with how it was with, with uh, um, with Oni, but it just it just it didn't work out there. Uh, I wasn't enjoying drawing. Um, and Janie Finn just kind of slipped away and then um, boom came along and they're like, hey, we, w- we would like to finish it. And so I was meant to draw the third and the fourth issue. and um, Mike was agreeable to it. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. And I started working on the third issue because I I'd had I had actually a bunch of pages drawn from the third issue before you, you know the second before the plug was pulled essentially. So, I only had to, like, draw, like, another 10 pages and then ink ink them and then do the fourth. So did Boom
3: come in recently, like, years after the original publication? Yeah,
2: they came in... Well, it, it's been a long time now. It's so been, it has it been only book initially. Yeah, yeah. It's been... It, this was about 10 or 11 years ago. Okay. And so I agreed to it, and I hadn't... I had been doing a lot of inking and stuff. Like, I, I was doing inking for DC and stuff, and, and that was fine. You know, that wasn't... That was that was just sort of me being able to make money and pay the rent, and it wasn't asking too it was much of me. Work. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. The inking stuff, I definitely want to get because you were inking Harlequin, which is a yeah, thing. I was
2: thinking but I was thinking my buddy Mike Huddleston, right. which he's like a brother. He's like my brother, so that was a lot of fun. But I yeah, love it, the idea
3: of just like knowing your work, and suddenly it's like you, you feel like the last person you want to <laughs> to bring into like kind of a sexy clown comic.
2: Well, and, but I had done other Although like now.
3: As soon as I said that, I'm just like, man, I want to see your horror, <laughs> sexy comic.
2: But yeah, so but, but just getting back to Jenny Finn for a second, and so I started working on the pages, and it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just, it was, it was emotionally, it was just, I was so overwrought working on that, and I was like, there's no way. Like I will be able to push through this third issue because the majority of it, you know, was penciled. Mm -hmm. But it's like there's no way I can do the fourth issue. I'm like I, I just I just hit the wall with it. And I, um, you know, I've had some situational depression, and it was I was I was struggling at that time, and like a relationship had ended around that time. It was like this perfect storm of shit. And, and, and me still not yet willing to deal with what I needed to deal with. Oh, right. And and so, you know, your brain is always like, deal with your crap, deal with your is crap. is it the
3: experience of you sitting at a desk alone and having to, like...
2: Yeah, and, and so, because I had really had chosen to isolate myself um, as a young person, and, like, I used to visualize myself, it was, it's interesting, because I had visualized myself drawing in the dark, mm-hmm. which is weird, because how could you? But... It was the one thing that I felt comfortable with that was just all mine, mm. that I had power over, was being creative and in the dark no one could see me and find me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it just was that, but it just but that's not a happy that's not a happy situation. Right. And so sitting down to draw just would bring back those those feelings of like of, of inadequacy just as a person because you, you you can't you can't hold that back forever. Right. And so all that sub- subconscious stuff was just, like, pounding at the front of me. Just, like, deal with it. Deal with it. And every time I sat down to draw with it, it was just a constant reminder that I had not. Yeah. And so I was just like, I can't do it. And so Ross at the time, Ross Ritchie at the time, was like, okay, you know, this is not a great situation. <laughs> he was right. It wasn't. Uh, but we went and we found Farrell. He was someone who we sort of, he on his own and me on my own were like, How about Farrell? Meet mm-hmm. in the middle and Farrell really came in and you know and, and pulled pulled my ass out of the fire and finished it. And I think he did a wonderful job and you know, always be indebted to Farrell. I know you guys love Farrell. Um, how could oh, yeah. you not with yeah. that face? Yeah, <laughs> he's one of my closest friends. Yeah. But uh,
3: it was interesting because you talked about how um, like a lot of people who start the book with your style when they hit Feral, it's 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 frustration. Which I think is understandable because you and Feral, although you have a lot of aesthetic similarities and are both fantastic cartoonists, you're definitely stylistically coming from different places. Yeah,
2: and it, it really, and I feel really bad that he gets that, like I, I, that he gets any kind of splash negative splashback because in fact he he's the guy that came in and like he was the superhero in all this and really <laughs> saved the day on it. And well, I think
3: it was if I mean I remember him at the time. It was a fantastic thing for him just because I mean you know McNoll such a such a deity in the comic sphere. yeah well he's got mignola tattoos
1: yeah oh does he yeah yeah he met him and he like
3: covered his arm yeah no he has a he actually has a a very noticeable mignola tattoo on his wrist and he held his wrist when he shook his hand hand when he shook his hand oh that's awesome but mike probably
2: would have thought that was fine yeah it's adorable yeah (laughs) but but, you know
3: i think that says a lot about how Farrell is like um very much downplays you know he, he he wants to keep his 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 sweetest, nicest feelings, kind of. He's a sensitive man. Yeah. but In the best way.
2: And, you know, and it it affected my relationship with Mike, too, because it was, like, you know, Mike is Mike, and Mike put his neck out there, too. And then here I am, because I certainly wasn't expressing what was going on in my life. Mm -hmm. It was just me going, I can't do the fourth issue, and and everyone going, why? And me not being able to tell them why. And so it's it's the one project where i i you know i can still look on i look at it and i'm proud of it um but it is one of those things where it's like that's like i really wish that i would have been in a better place to be able to have pushed through and, and finish that and have that be you know that project by by mike and me with absolutely no disrespect intended towards right.
3: towards feral but well it's interesting too because I, I think that a lot of comic readers and people in comics are kind of unwilling to have real conversations about, you know, anything in relation to personal problems and mental illness and all of the things that, that stop someone from working. It just becomes like a weakness if somebody suddenly can't do this very difficult thing.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because there's been, you know, because I'm quite active on Facebook and there's a lot of people that have been, you know, and so obviously I'm in a, in a much, I'm in the place that I always sort of wished I had been in Mm -hmm. because I love drawing. Like I draw all the time now. I, it, I get so much uh, sense of enjoyment and accomplishment in just the simplest of doodles. Mm-hmm. And there's just, and it's coming out in my work. And like the projects that I have lined up, like the project that I'm, that's currently coming out in Dark Horse Presents, the car and I did, it's like, it's over the top. It's, it's nuts. Like we just threw everything in the kitchen sink into this thing and just had a lot of fun. And the next thing that I'm doing with Damon is is even more of that. It's just... It's oh, yeah,
3: Damon Gentry, the writer of Saber Swordsman? Yeah,
2: and so him and I are doing a four-shoe... can't say what it is because they haven't announced it yet or anything, but we're doing an, a four-shoe miniseries for Dark Horse, and it's the same thing. Like, it's just me really sort of... Uh, all those pent-up years of, like, restraining myself is just, like I just blew up the dam and it's That's all coming fantastic. out
1: now. One of the things I noticed is you're also drawing a lot differently. Mm-hmm like technically it looks like you know bet- before
3: and after the movie is a different well, Different that, artist. Was, that was like 10 years too right
2: well yeah but and, and and definitely and and i mean i one is is me sort of working um, my process is different yeah but two it it's like i just feel like i'm just i am really just letting myself go now and letting myself be super expressive and just and I'm not struggling with this whole trying to find the perfect thing because I understand there is no such thing. Mm-hmm. And so my pencils are super loose and broad and so instead of being, you know, so my you know, minute and controlling of my pencils, I s they're super broad pencils and then I light box them now and I, I ink um, on on paper over my you know over my pencils, so there's actually no pencils ever touch the paper.
3: Do you ink with a brush?
2: Uh, I ink. I go back and forth. So I, I use a lot of Microns, but I use the the uh, the Pentel brush pen.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I've sort of been experimenting, going back, and it's just when I do little drawings, sometimes I'll use the the, the pocket brush, or sometimes I use Microns. That's and funny,
3: with your style, I, I expect you to have kind of like a you know some kind of quill with Some a... Some feather, you know, big feather quill? Yeah, a <laughs> pelican feather on the end of a quill that you're like, dipping inside of a... Like Simon's nymphs that he uses? Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Simon Roy uses, yeah, he's, he, he definitely just has like a an old twig that he dips <laughs> in, splitting. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got like, you're like, you know, you're jacked into the net with your cyber goggles on. <laughs> <and you> know, <laughs> Pigma. <one> <laughs> you know. um, did, so... When you went into film, was was uh, was that almost a an escape from drawing for you in some ways? It, like, it was. I mean, did the I negative see feelings follow you.
2: Uh, no, and it was really interesting because I actually really loved it, and I made a short film, and that was sort of me testing that because I've always loved oh, yeah, movies. Latchkey's Lament, like, yeah. yeah, and so that was me testing the waters. It's like okay. Can I, tell, can, I, can I tell a story visually, like, you know, how my brain works and what I've drawn on paper? And can I make an emotional connection to an audience? So and, were you
3: making comics at the time that you made the
2: movie? Uh, oh, I think I was in, yeah. That's when I think I was inking. Mm-hmm. When I was inking for DC, I think, at that time. And so made the short, loved the process. It took five years to finish because it was, like, 50 grand out of my pocket. Was this early 2000s? Uh, yeah, yeah, because it it played at uh, the two thousand and seven uh, TIFF film festival. Okay. Toronto okay. Film Festival. It's a big one. Yeah. So, so which was very cool. So, because they, they fly you out and you know they put you up and you yeah it was it was pretty neat. And um, so yeah, that would have been so yeah early two thousands started working on that, and loved it. And th- the opportunity just came through Nick Nunziata, who um, who ran chud.com, uh, like a movie website. And he knew Guillermo. Yeah. And so uh, Guillermo was starting prep on... It was it Hellboy? Hellboy. Hellboy. Two, Hellboy two. Yeah, I think it was maybe Hellboy Two. Remember
3: you mentioning that you met him on the set of Hellboy Two?
2: Well, it wasn't on the set. It was in, Yeah, it was in London. It was. It was Hellboy Two because they were doing post in London. So that's oh, I okay. have this
3: idea of you kind of like walking through. the... <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> wish that would have been amazing. The snorkelazles or yeah, whatever yeah. things were.
2: And so Nick Nick ripped it uh, and put it up on a on a site for Guillermo and mm-hmm. Guillermo watched it and it is funny because all I was looking for at the time was a quote from Guillermo for mm-hmm. the box cover, you know, for the art. and And it got a really nice response back and then Guillermo and then sorry Nick phoned um almost immediately upon me getting the email and he's like oh he wants to talk to you and he gave me his phone number and then I called him and it took and and so he was shooting that's right he was shooting at the time because it took a a few tries to actually get a hold of him and I remember walking and I was in the financial district of Vancouver Mm -hmm. When he said, I have this little script that I wrote, and would you be interested in reading it? Because I think you'd be good for directing it. And I got off the phone and I looked around at all these suits sitting there for lunch, going, They have no idea. I have no one to tell this to. And your face is squares. (laughs) (laughs) Did you you know what the.
3: What the work was at the time? No,
2: I didn't. Just he just said it was a it was based off an old TV show that he loved
3: as a kid, but I didn't know what it was.
0: Right. Don't be afraid of the dark. Is the yeah,
2: show. is the show? Was the movie? Did, yeah.
0: Did
3: you? So did you go and research that as soon as you heard about it?
2: Well, when I found out what it was, yeah, and it's it it was it was broken up in chunks on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just really horrible resolution. That's from like nineteen seventy-three, I think. Yeah, I think I was—I think I was one when it came out. And so, um, I ended up getting a, a much better version of it. But uh, watched it, uh, read the script, really liked it, and just started thinking about you know what, how how I how I approach it. And it was it was an amazing experience. Like I learned a ton. I you know I, t- I was talking to Brandon earlier about you know making a movie actually really helped inform drawing comics because I just have have uh, a much better time a much easier time about picking where to choose the camera mm-hmm. for my panels. Were and you
3: storyboarding your own films?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I did all of Latchkey's. I storyboarded mm-hmm. all that, and I storyboarded chunks of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark when I could. You're so busy as a director, you're, like you're just pulled twenty thousand different I can ways. can imagine
1: so. the scope. Of work that goes in with being a director, like say you pull in twenty thousand different ways, and yeah. It's how much you have to be well. It's
2: aware of, and you do, and and it's funny because, and I tell people about you know when they want to direct now, it's like is as, as prepared as you think you're going to be for your first feature, you have no idea.
3: Where was where was that one filmed?
2: We shot that in Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, which was amazing. So I lived in in Australia for for six months. So, and and it. it I think a lot of that movie really works. Um, I'm proud of a lot of it. I think I was trying to make a slightly different movie than what the studio wanted. I was all about just trying to because once again, I think what pulled me to this movie was this little kid in in you know in a dire situation, and I'm like, I'm going to save her from that. Yeah. And once again, my brain is like, this is how this is working, just turning over, turning over, and you know, telling the same sort of story as Trout and. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that I was really trying to focus on that perhaps too much, um, and the studio was like, "We need this to be a monster movie." And um, but I think you know I think it's a really effective movie. I think that uh, what what hurt it in a little bit in the end was the rating because it was rated you know it was rated R in the yeah. states,
3: which is baffling to me. But it is what it is. But um, do you did you think at all of and in relation to your comic work at all, do you think at all of the audience is like who you're aiming your work for? Or Is it, is it more personal than that?
2: Yeah, I, I was just trying to make at that. I was just trying to make uh, the best movie that I could. And I was at that, I was my my first thought was like make Yirma proud. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to do was make him proud. And uh, um, because you're just I, I don't want to feel so beholden to an audience. It's like I I try to tell the most personal story that you can in the context of what what it is you're trying to do with the story is mm-hmm. in in the best way possible and then I was like and then if I feel like I've achieved that it's like okay I'll the audience will find this
3: Did Del Toro know your comic work at all?
2: Y- yeah yeah he's a big comic guy so he yeah, knew yeah. he knew who I was before so he knew who Jenny you know he he certainly was familiar with Jenny Finn cuz mm-hmm. you know with his his association with Mike so um, yeah but he he knew my stuff Okay. Yeah. Nice. yeah. I
1: think Guy Davis is like his main go to monster. He loves Guy.
2: Yeah. Guy, because, well, because lives in Toronto now. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. so Guy is, I think Guy probably spends most of his time in Toronto instead yeah. of Michigan. <laughs> Del
3: Toro, give our comic artists back. Yeah. Well, Guy, <laughs> we we I think. Guy Davis back. Uh,
2: Guy, and Guy is another wonderful it's human true, being. He's
3: drawing vagina monsters for one man. <laughs> <bad day. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> he's the new Giger. He's the new Giger. Yeah, he's probably...
2: I want to see him finish the marquee. He was going to finish the marquee, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's he's like... He's done does with good. comics, I think. He, he is. I think he, he is, like, yeah.
3: he, he lives in a Scrooge McDuck bank now, and just Whoa. swims. swims <laughs> <all
2: back. laughs> But, uh, yeah, he, uh, I mean, he, I mean, because he was doing such wonderful stuff on BPRD, too. So mm-hmm. It was great. But, yeah, I think, I from, you know, who knows, maybe in 10 years he'll come back and, and do some comic stuff.
1: But I bought some mystery theater pages off him, like, 12 or 13 years ago, and they were so cheap. And he, like, sends you extra drawings. It's yep. like, here, you bought this page for $45, and here's a little drawing of one of the characters. In yeah, edition. similar
3: in a, in, a, in a way to Mignola, that that he had a long career of, essentially nobody giving a shit about his work until he does a specific piece of work and then everything he does turns to gold and people suddenly start going back and looking at his work with new eyes.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, because all of a sudden they're going back to his previous work. Well, this is brilliant. It's like, yeah, it was 15 years ago, too. (laughs)
3: I mean, it's the funny thing about Magnolia is is the the history of it has almost changed because pre-Hellboy, he was the guy that you would get on, that people, they seemed like they would put on a book when they needed, like... When they like couldn't get Arthur Adams or something,
2: yeah, it's 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 interesting because Mike, like he he did some, some amazing stuff at, at DC, especially like the the Cosmic Odyssey, the Cosmic Odyssey, oh, a Odyssey was was amazing, and I and I love his Gotham by Gaslight, and but Mike is just so not interested in Batman or any of those yeah, guys right. anymore, and it, it's like for me, like Mike doing Hellboy makes so much sense because it is everything that inspires him creatively Mm -hmm. and I mean he really has created this whole new new room of the the library of the history of comics yeah Yeah,
3: and it does really um, point out how weird it is sometimes to take a creator like him and and be like you know draw, draw the green lantern it's just like just because as soon as he hits his own personal work, it just seems like ridiculous that he would ever be doing superhero comics. Yeah.
2: Well, and it's funny because I'm I'm friends with Mike, and but I also don't hide the fact that like he's one of my my. The the guys I look up to the so, most. He's the only last living one who I like completely revere. Right, and uh, killed off all the other ones. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mike, so, be careful. <laughs> but but it, and it's funny to just chat with him. It's like oh, this guy whose work I unabashedly you know love is just also this guy living in California and you know and he's painting amazing stuff now and taking well trying to take time off. But
1: we really wanted to interview him on our trip to L.A. But didn't. Didn't happen? Didn't get through. The hell
3: gate wouldn't open.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we, we tried doing some some spells and stuff. And
3: yeah. Kill a rabbit for no reason. <laughs> no <laughs> reason at all. It good <laughs>
2: <stew>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, It is funny, though, because, you know, sort of with my resurgence of... of, of, of of love of drawing comics has also sort of been. Re- I've been reading a lot, a lot more too, and I hadn't read comics in a while, so that's nice. And I mean, I, I don't know if there's ever been a time where more eclectic, wonderful, super, super great stories are being told than right now. This mm-hmm. is
3: like a nice time. And and uh, one of your almost return books was the the Lobster Johnson one you did.
2: Yeah, that. So that was that was my first. Can I draw comics again? Mm-hmm. Project and. I had reached out to John Rocco, who I think we all love, and because uh, I had friended him, <laughs> I had friended him on Facebook. People,
3: another guy who I would say hits that point of like when he worked on BPRD, suddenly people look back at his body yes. of work. Yeah,
2: I mean, he created, Major Bummer was pretty awesome. Major yeah. Bummer is great, but but that but that like, took the B- BPRD yeah, for people exactly. then to go, oh, Major Bummer is a really cool. Account. I bought it when it came out. You thank know, you very <laughs> much. I almost wonder
3: with like him and Guy Davis if it was. If it's almost it was good for their career so that they managed to um, struggle in obscurity for so long and get really good at the craft.
2: Possibly, I mean, I I I remember Guy when he was doing. Um, uh, Baker was it was no before that. It was like at Arrow Comics. He was doing this like uh, Robin Hood type thing,
4: like that this fantasy.
2: Yeah, but I remember liking even like his stuff even back then. There was there was. There was an originality to it that I wasn't seeing anywhere else. And that's what always attracted me to artists, too, is, like, it didn't have to be the best stuff. It just had to be their own stuff. There's... With Guy's style, there's something, like,
1: really tripping in there. I don't mean the aesthetic is tripping, but there's just so much... Creativity, these like creative juices that are just like coming out of his work that I just I and really
2: it looks uh, and it looks effortless and, and I you always look at those artists who whose work just looks like um, someone who absolutely knows what they're doing and it 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 looks like I mean you always know that it takes effort but when it looks like it doesn't take effort that's when you know someone's really clicking
3: yeah yeah he's a guy that you just expect that he draws pages like handwriting
2: yes. Like, like, it it looks, or something yeah like and like he's he, make an ugly line <laughs> and there's there's sort of a real european approach to yeah. to how he tells stories that right. i was really really appreciated you can see there's some he's got some tardy influence in there oh absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah yeah which
1: is nothing wrong with
2: no and yeah but and tardy is one of those guys that i sort of came to later and um and it is sort of, I've had comparisons, people like, oh, I see a bit of this person in your work. Or does I see that, a bit does of...
3: that make, is that something that you resent or is it something that you... No,
2: I think it's fine. Most of the time they're wrong. Because <laughs> right. most of the time I'm like, no, nah, I like, I love that person's work, but I didn't know who they were until like a year ago. Well, so is this
3: is the kind of experience where you see someone like that and, and you're like this guy's drinking from the same same well as me
2: yes i do i definitely do think that and i think the guy is absolutely one of those those people Mm -hmm. and i think that dave is too but dave maybe is has has a fancier goblet than me (laughs) (laughs) but uh um there's certainly artists who who i think that you know there's there's if i was to see their house Mm -hmm. i was like oh yeah you like the same stuff i like and uh which i always think is really cool when you sort of meet those like-minded people oh yeah yeah and what's and what's so funny is is like my relationship with kari kari andrews who is my best friend i've known him for over 20 years we couldn't sort of be more different in what we do and and what really you know gets us excited to create
3: oh interesting yeah yeah because he seems much more almost coming from a Kind of pop sensibility then Yeah, I mean
2: he loves like it's all action, like old action movies and stuff with him. That's that's what got him really excited. I right. mean like for me like I love the Robert Altman Popeye. Like mm-hmm. like that's yeah. like that's what I go back that
3: to. That is an amazing movie.
2: Yes, it is. It's amazing. <laughs> and, I, and and that might be that might have that might be the source of the influence because it's that like it
3: does feel a lot like your work.
2: Yeah. And I I remember we rented that for my birthday on VHS. And we had it for the weekend, and I watched it twelve times over the weekend. Have you drawn Popeye? Ever? I have drawn Popeye, yeah, a, a few times. That? Yeah, yeah, oh, I feel
3: you like you've seen that.
2: Yeah, um, I don't know if I have posted it or not, but I, I I have drawn Popeye, yeah, and it's something that I that he is one of those characters where, um, I would love to go and do like it's a Popeye project. Over here, right? it's
3: yeah, is in it Europe, is but it not
1: in America?
2: Not in America Yeah, yeah he Okay, might be
1: here. Like James Bond is public domain here.
2: Which is crazy. Oh, it is. I'm gonna make yeah. a James Bond movie. It's my next movie. Let's do it. No, I would make an amazing <laughs> James Bond. Yeah. Troy. we gotta, we gotta start right here. I know, I know you with Guy Pierce, but you know, he's not that handsome. <laughs> Those guy piercing blue eyes. Oh,
3: <laughs>
2: but it, it's but what's funny is I find that um, it sort of has flipped now in terms of the comic stuff. Like I'm just really, like I said, I'm sort of really unleashing everything yeah, now. And doing these really big, sort of crazy, broad, nuts stories. And the sort of more personal stuff has filtered over to the movie side. And I haven't given up on movies. Uh, I just can't pursue it as a full-time thing because it, you know, damn near ruined me doing so. But so I do want to make small movies. And they're all very, very, I mean, they're me. Like you would see the same sort of design and sensibility in my movie stuff. But they're all that personal side of me where i i now feel comfortable tapping
3: into Mm -hmm. and sharing so do you get a very is it a different thing that you get out of making movies than you do making comics
2: yeah it is movies are so collaborative and i love it like i love being around artists i love talking about you know, how do you solve things? And that's what movies is. It's all about, it's a million, it's a million solutions that you have to find. And I've been fortunate, you know, I've worked with some really great artists and and collaborating on, on, on you know, both Latch Keys and, and with Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And I just love that. I love that idea of, and the thing that surprised me the most is because, uh, you know, with Latch Keys, I had... Sort of a professional mind that that played, that played the the key fiend, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, and so we sort of worked things out before. But it's it's really him, just sort of this physical sort of role. Mm-hmm. And so I came to Don't Be Afraid of the Dark with like no experience working with with actors, like mm-hmm. running you know running dialogue and right. and rehearsing and everything. And I loved that the most out of everything. Mm-hmm. Like I we were really restricted with Bailey Madison, that's the little girl, um, with her hours, yeah. because she was under a certain age, so she's only allowed to work a certain Ugh, number laws. <laughs> Get off our backs. And, uh, this is where we're going to talk about how wonderful Kid Nation was, because <laughs> they found a way to circumvent
1: all
3: of that. All of that, Kibnation? did
2: they? I'll, I'll is that you the sweatshop it. that you're running? <laughs> but, uh, so I would rehearse with uh, Katie and Guy on the weekends, and I would play sally yeah, well, in the scenes i would you know that and would so, have been an
3: amazing movie if you just like, if, it if it was, was just, just me <laughs> dad, 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 why can't i call mom
2: <laughs> oh jeez! someone's phone who's who was that,
3: that was that's i'm not a professional. normally my ringer is him. off
1: <laughs> i'm sorry guys but it
2: was amazing because working with two really seasoned incredible actors and finding, you know, and just seeing their process and how they work.
3: Did you know their, did you know them through their work very well before you'd work with them?
2: I did, yeah. Like, it was, it was, uh, especially Guy. I was was a huge fan of
3: Guy. What, what thing of his stuck out?
2: Oh, uh, the, oh, I'm completely, the, the Western that he did. I absolutely love that movie. Um, the, the Australian Western. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm failing miserably as a movie person. Is that the Nick Cave one? Uh, yeah. What is it? Oh, um,
3: yeah, yeah, the, uh... I saw that one too. That one, yeah. That one, <laughs> that's terrible. Robin can edit in a robot voice yeah. later. But
2: but Memento is uh, um, is incredible. Like I've I've seen tons of tons of Guy's stuff. And L.A. Confidential, which is his first yeah. his oh, first that's, U.S. That's nice movie, one. is he's he's uh, incredible in that. That movie will come to me, and I'll just like shout it out like I have Tourette's, it'll you know it'll it'll come out. But um, yeah, and so I was really familiar with Guy's stuff, and certainly was f- familiar with Katie. Through, especially because television work. And a yeah. Well, but I mean, everyone has seen Dawson Creek, but. but uh, <laughs> I
1: don't want to leave. Sorry. But. Randy just doesn't approve of me at all. Right
2: now. Um, <laughs> you know how I feel about emotions. Yeah. What the heck is the name of that movie? It starts with a P, doesn't it? The. Oh, uh, the proposition. How the to be Thank a player, the proposition. Thank you. The player and the proposition. Next uh, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so no, I just it was it was a really and it was a wonderful experience working with both of them. It was it was sort of I was so lucky because I didn't have any drama. Like you always tell us, like oh man, actors can be really dramatic, and I didn't have
3: any of that. I love the um, it's a little off topic, but I love how much it appears that um, uh, the Die Hard guy, Bruce Willis, hated Kevin Smith when they worked together.
2: Well. Bruce Willis is <laughs> Bruce Willis is his own not, special not kind not of to, kind of person. To, I'm not trying to get on team Bruce Willis here.
3: I just think it's. I just think it's. I, I if
2: I I will go as far as to say I am absolutely definitely not team Bruce Willis. But, um, yeah.
3: I just I'm just a fan. You,
2: I of will. These, I, what I team will team say I will say I will definitely say uh, that I have a list of actors that I would love to work with one right. day. And Bruce Willis is nowhere near that list.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's, he does fine films.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, you also have to spend a lot of time with people, and, yeah, he's... he's Did he's, you not see Hudson <laughs> Hawk? He's, he's a he's a director killer. He uh, What yeah. was the, the Hackman,
1: the story of Hackman on um, the... Uh, what's Royal Tendenbombs? Yeah, apparently it was just, like, the biggest nightmare imaginable. Nice. Like, yeah. They kind of, like, you know what you're getting into.
3: Like, yeah, 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 no, it's... A, No, 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 no. You don't know what you're getting into. How come, and hear me out on this one, how come no one has ever done a hackers movie with Hackman?
2: Back. The Hackman. The Hackman.
1: Is it just like him on a skateboard going behind, stealing j- disks off people?
3: Uh, if you, for, for listeners at home, uh, we're playing a game to see how many times I can say Jackman in the next <laughs> 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 anyway,
2: But as far as Bruce Willis goes, I'm sure that I'm not on any of his lists either. So it's probably, you know, it's shitless now. <laughs> well, yes.
3: Um, so that, that sounds like it was a, a generally positive experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, making movies is really, really hard. And and like I said earlier, the business of movies is, is even more difficult. And so after, because, you know, it was delayed a year. It sat on a shelf for a year because Miramax was shut down because um, it was owned by Disney. Oh, the yeah. head of Disney left, or was let go. They shut down Miramax, and then all of a sudden it became part of the negotiating
3: package for whoever was going to buy Miramax, so it did sit on the shelf for a while. Do you find any connections between the, the politics and kind of just the, the behind-the-scenes and comics and the behind-the-scenes movies? Did it Help it's
2: not are. even yeah because in movies is not even close in comics and mm. and I'm not trying to uh, um, dismiss anyone that has any problems in comics. My joke is always I always say with people it's like I've seen I've seen the grass on the other side and not only is it not green, it's on fire.
3: <laughs> right. It <laughs> is interesting because it is like you and Carrie definitely Carrie definitely uh, occupy this weird thing where it's like I feel like so many people entering comics are like yeah I'll just. Uh, it'd be great to do comics for a while and then I'll do some films and blah di blah di blah Yeah. And then seeing guys who are actually doing it and just, like, the thousand-year-old stare. And <laughs> well,
2: and that's kind of it. And, and there was actually an article came out a little while ago and I posted it on Facebook. And, you know, because the new thing now is these studios are hiring these sort of younger directors to come in and do these big movies and, and you know, a lot... It just kills them. Well, it, it really kind of does, you know, and and... Part of it is because now studios are are really involved in the process of making the movies and and much more than they used to be. And, you know, people are like, well, why are these young directors taking these roles and taking these these movies? Because if
1: someone shows up with a dump truck of money on your door... Yes, that's exactly it.
2: Because until they had that offer, they were having trouble paying rent. And so someone's like, do you want to rent, you know, do you want to direct this movie? And you're going to get paid a shit ton of money. You probably will be emotionally scarred after... But, you know, it's just like, but maybe you won't. But, you know, and so it's just this, it's really, really tough for, for people to make a, a living in that industry. Yeah. And so comics at first became this, well, I need to, to pay rent uh, let me dip my toe in the water and and see how it goes to oh wait I can be creative again you know it's not endless discussions about what color something is going to be I can just sit down and start drawing something Yeah, right. and that was that was like oh and so it all started happening where I was working through the past abuse issues and You know deciding to come back to comics and i'm sure that you know they really did sort of tie into one another and just and and so yeah the lobster johnson thing was me reaching out to to john arcudi and saying hey i'd love to work with you and him going funny you ask we're starting to do these uh lobster johnson one shots let me see what's going on he went back he talked to scott alley and he talked to mike and they're like yeah Let's do one with Troy. So
1: things with Mike have kind of smoothed out. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Things with Mike are are great now. Thankfully, I was really, you know, I mean, with the way that that Jenny Finn happened and and Mike sort of just saying, look, you're you're a pain in the ass, Troy, and, and rightfully so. That but that Mike has really been able to put that behind him, and uh, yeah. So I'm really happy about that. Mm-hmm. And, and Yeah, and so the Lobster Johnson thing was. And I got this script, and I remember just going, "Oh my god, <laughs> I have to draw 20, 20 pages because Kevin Nolan did the did the first and the last page, mm-hmm. but uh, which was awesome too because Kevin was amazing." But I, I just I was just like, "Okay, I haven't done this in so long, and how do I attack this?" And and I my approach was was the, the movie mentality got me into was like, "Okay, this is like a Coen Brothers movie." Oh, nice and so that's what helped me get in, and that's why the characters, I did sort of very specific designs for them, and, and that's actually what really helped me get through that, and then it just started to come back. Was your,
3: was your, like, physical process at all different than your previous work?
2: Yeah, I, was still, I was still drawing, I hadn't adapted the light pad aspect of, 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 um, comics then. I, I, picked that up after lobster johnson and How i big just is your light table oh it's just it's just it's just i think it's like 18 by 14 i want to find a re if anyone knows where to get a really really big one let me know I have An uh,
3: insanely large one that my ex is uh, is it a quality. light pad or is it a light table it's it's basically like a you know it's like a desk without yeah 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 yeah
2: but, yeah. <laughs> but mine mine's is like this light pad like it's like it's millimeters thick it's mm-hmm. super super slim but um, and so that really allowed me to free up my pencils, which which helped dramatically. So I just draw on a piece of tracing paper. I do all my pencils, and that goes down. And the paper on top, and do, then I do just out time? yeah. My layouts are super rough, though. I I've but it, it's always been that way because I've always felt like if I did really detailed layouts, unless I have to, like. Mm-hmm. On the Doom that came to Gotham, I had to do layouts that were much more legible because the layouts had to be approved. Right. and same actually same with uh, the Lobster Johnson, I had to have my layouts approved for that, so they were a little bit more legible. They were still pretty rough. Is that but, is
3: that sending you to the editor, or is it any it...
2: Yeah, yeah, to the to the editor, so they'd have to go through the editorial that,
3: process. Uh, but, Shabon on that one?
2: No, that was uh, that was uh, Scott Scott okay. Alley on the on the Lobster Johnson. So, um, and. Yeah. So, but usually my layouts are like like they're not they're scribbles. Like right. no one would be able to decipher them but me.
3: Did you get any notes back on that one?
2: On the Lobster Johnson? Great. Really? Yeah, uh, but it was all continuity stuff. There was only like two notes um, because my story tied in with another story. So the one of the locations had to uh, look like a specific building, oh. and then how one guy ends up laying. I have to. I had to show it because that he was going to then, like after he got shot, because that was going to appear in. another. Right. Do you remember who
3: the artist who drew the building originally was?
2: It was me. I so I started it. So oh, yeah, yeah, it, so yeah. So, was, like... yeah. so I, I I just went and found an old photo again <laughs> yeah. of of a, of a store in um, Chicago, like do you an know old if the photo.
3: Mall. Got passed on to the next artist.
2: Yeah, I sent I sent it on. I sent it to Scott. Whether the artist used that or not, do I don't you know who drew it next. I I don't. I that can't would be remember. really
3: interesting to see. Yeah,
2: I can't remember. But um, yeah, and it was fun because I hadn't had to worry about that in so long, mm-hmm. like the continuity stuff from other issues and and stuff. But um, what about in
3: inking? Was continuity at all uh, an issue? No,
2: like once I inked it, it was fine. I think I I think I redrew one panel, and that was because I just actually laid it out really poorly. Mm-hmm. It was it was for for because there was actually a lot of word balloons in it. Oh, and I I,
3: Specifically, in inking like inking Harlequin. You oh, Harlequin. Back and look. No. No,
2: like we just went. Was it we just, just kind of a
3: brain-off job where you're just. Yeah,
2: I mean, it was awesome because I was working with Matt Idelson, who's awesome. And I was working with Mike Huddleston, who was awesome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it was just one of those where I I couldn't draw then. It was like drawing was like climbing a mountain with blindfolded. Okay. Uh, but inking was, was just something I could plug into. And um, it, still, it still wasn't. One hundred percent, just easy, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally. But it, I could get through it every day because I could ink a, ink a page and a half, you know, relatively easy.
3: Would you, um, in doing something like that, that's that's so little, that's just kind of all craft? Would you, would you do things like leave movies on and or listen to audiobooks? More? Oh, I I
2: still do that, and even when I'm drawing and mm-hmm. stuff now, yeah. I, um, Typically, because I'll have a lot of reference. Um, I like to use reference even if I'm not looking at the reference. Right. It's like you know, lots of photos and stuff up and and um, but I usually like I always have like Netflix going or or podcast going or just listening to music. But... He was talking about how he
1: listens to other podcasts earlier.
2: Yes. No. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Mark Maron podcast. He's a great interviewer. I don't
3: know if I've heard that one.
2: Yeah, he's he, he's the he's the guy that uh, interviewed Obama.
3: Okay. Yeah. I've heard of that guy. Okay. Yeah, Zach Galifianakis.
2: Yes, he did a great Zach Galifianakis interview. Uh, interview actually, not that long. So Robin, ago. you
3: really need to step up who you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: don't worry. Next week we have uh,
1: Justin Trudeau's hair. There you go. Oh, nice. There you go. It's yeah. 2016.
2: <laughs> but yeah, and people s- forget this is Canada. Yes. Oh well. Yeah. Well, that's story.
4: <laughs>
2: but uh, yeah, and so it's just been this process now of um of just actually having a lot of fun and we are in the process of moving um and a, and a big part of that is just sort of um to allow a little more creative freedom because obviously the cost of living in alberta is much cheaper than vancouver or yeah. so vancouver is
1: one of the most expensive cities in the world at this point yeah
3: hollywood north
1: it's been that for a long time yeah not a very good hollywood this is like the budget there's been some better stuff filmed in Vancouver for, for a long time. It was like, I couldn't get anyone to name something filmed in Vancouver that was actually good.
3: I enjoyed Fringe.
2: Well, there is now, they are <laughs> almost, they are <laughs> almost, at, they're almost at maximum capacity. <laughs> I, think, I think there's, uh, I think there's 58, 58 shows filming in Vancouver right now.
3: I always wonder when, uh, when you see, when you see just like endless trailers that are taking over like a city block. I just imagine they're probably, like, filming some tiny scene that's just, like, somebody, like, you know, it's, like... Um, Sitting in the corner Ryan, of the library? Yeah, Meg yeah. Ryan ordering a coffee, and they need to take <laughs> over, like, half the city to do it. Was that what it was like? What yeah, they I was
2: always amazed at, at uh, how much stuff we it had. makes me really me. appreciate comics. You're just
3: like, I could literally go in a coffee shop and yeah. finish a page where these guys need, like, they have to hire, like, you know,
1: Teamsters to... <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I walked by a filming up by the Queenie Theater and there's a lot of trucks out there and then I look and they have a whole, I think it's for like all the high-end stuff and all like the fancy trailers for the actors were in the uh, post office building. So, oh, yeah. Like that
3: huge warehouse yeah. just yeah. filled with movie
1: trailers. Yeah. And it's like,
3: all right. I always see them filming iZombie around here and want to personally call up uh, the Mike Alred and, and Chris, Chris Robertson and just be like, and, and you know. That, oh, it a it crash like, your set. Yeah. Uh... <laughs>
1: The Band of the High Castle is frequently filmed just a block away from here. Yeah. Well,
2: and they're about to, Altered Carbon, they're about to start shooting that here. I don't know that one. That is, uh, it's a sci-fi, uh, it's like a sci-fi series, camera when it came out, but uh, massive budgeted, massive budget next Netflix show. I think they actually, there's a new uh, studio out in, I want to say Surrey or Burnaby? One of probably the two, Probably Surrey.
1: Well, there's a lot of studios of Burnaby, like, production ways. Yeah, but I think um, Surrey's
2: got a brand new one. So they're basically taking over that whole facility. Yeah, there's more room to spread in Was it Ron yeah. who
3: worked on Man in the High Castle? Ron worked on Man in the High Castle, What's his last name again? Ron Turner? Yeah. Ron Turner. Yeah, he's a fantastic uh, cartoonist and he also designer, on,
1: yeah. He also worked on the um, first Lonely Island
3: movie. He designed a hot dog skateboard ramp thing. Oh yeah, yeah. but he has that great yeah. story where so the man the high castle is basically like if the other side won World War Two. And wasn't he in a he was in a coffee shop working on like Hitler youth posters? Like not occurring <laughs> to him that it was like looked weird. But he's a very He's a very handsome Aryan man. That's true.
2: <laughs> very blonde, blue-eyed yeah, yeah. man. Yes. Yeah, he it's wears true. that he wears their armband.
1: <laughs> I remember Simon showed us a photo of, like, he just, like, saw
3: a bunch of Nazis walking through downtown. I guess it was just, like... <laughs> for for the show? Yeah. He, he was really worried when he saw one Nazi in full uniform, and then when he saw, like, 20 of them, he was like, oh, oh. No, it's a movie. Oh, it's okay. And I was like, no, that's that's Red Dawn again. you got to really be worried. <laughs> so does it does it change your um when i when i briefly worked in animation it it dramatically changed how i it kind of killed my interest in watching animation because i thought too much about the process is that done it for you at all with with film does it change how you watch a movie
2: um yes if i'm if i'm not really into the movie i'll just sit there and break it down uh-huh. i'll just watch it i'll like, watch like edits. Why it doesn't work yeah i'll just watch edits i'll i'll watch performance uh, it, and so I can find certain other ways but if a movie's really not very good then I just sit there and I'm just yeah I'll just tear it apart in my that's head that's
1: why I don't listen to podcasts
2: <laughs> same thing yeah
3: well it's interesting because I, I what about what comics do you do the do you do the same thing
2: no, I don't actually. I I,
3: I, I tend not to with comics.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I certainly. I can pick up a comic, and I'll know immediately if 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 I'm engaged visually or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, it'll always be visuals first for me, and that's in comics. That's how it works for me. Right. But um, so a, a poorly drawn, well written comic, I can't read. But
3: uh, um, I, I always enjoy those. I, I I will really enjoy a poorly written. A poorly drawn, well written comic because it almost feels like you're like looking through a, a, a looking glass of like, you know, it's. I remember reading a, a comic where I actually had to ask the editor, it's like, is, is this character supposed to be a, a beautiful woman? Because I, I can't tell. No. <laughs> um, and I didn't mean it in a mean way. I just like literally, like, just didn't know. Didn't know. Like that information was not conveyed. It. Yeah. That was kind of interesting because it makes me feel. Um, Knowing your reputation, they probably thought you were being mean on purpose. <laughs>
2: but uh, no, yeah. With so with comics, I I, I can certainly uh, and I you know I I read friends comics and mm. stuff like that and and I like to be supportive when I can in that respect. But yeah, I don't do it when I'm reading comics. I just really enjoy reading comics. Yeah. And um, but yeah, movies. I'll just even even then, like I can be fully engaged in a movie and it's blowing my mind. And then all of a sudden, like a really amazing shot happens or something, and wow. I'm just like that was incredible and i'll I'll totally take myself out for a second on the technical aspect of something i can get right back into it but it's just so so weird and so funny to do that where Uh, you're just like that was that was a brilliant decision whoever whoever decided to do that that was great
3: (laughs) but there is that that must exist in comics as well
2: i'm sure it does yeah i'm sure it does but but comics is such a uh it engages you in such a different way at least me i mean it's there's a back and forth to it where you know you immediately look at the picture, and then you read the words, and then you go back to the picture, right. and and so you can linger, you can do what you need to do. But we're we're a movie; it dictates the pace at which mm-hmm. you watch and hear, and so you're really sort of at its mercy. Whereas comics, you kind of are controlling the process more.
3: Do you do you letter your own work very often?
2: I'm just I'm just starting to do that. I'm just figuring figuring that out now. So, it's uh. And a lot of it has to do with me just really, because I I still draw on paper, it's just, I love, I love the original art, I love everything about it on, on that piece of paper, and so, because comics is much more than just the visual, it is about that moment, it is about the words that are being spoken, and, you know, the captions or whatever, Combined with the image, and so when you look at original art, like, could you imagine looking at, uh, you know, a spirit page without the
3: without the dialogue on? Right, just a, a comic craft lettered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. It's just it's like what? Yeah, it just, just would not. Sense.
2: Yeah, it just would not make sense. It just wouldn't feel right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and this is absolutely no no disrespect to digital letters because I know why they did they letter digitally. It just makes sense in terms mm-hmm. of time, but. For me, I just really love the lettering on the page. And so I am sort of fumbling around with that a little bit right now. Does
3: it change the... Because something I've noticed in my... Because I both work with letterers sometimes on things like profit or, or hand letter if I'm, if I'm drawing it. And I've noticed that if I'm hand lettering something, it actually changes the words I use sometimes. Because you can, while hand lettering it, I'll just be like, oh, this word doesn't fit very much. I'll just put a shorter word in here. Did oh, yeah?
2: Like, I don't. I, I. I. But you're also dealing with a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even because the thing that I'm learning now, I wrote myself. Oh, okay. And so, um, and, and and I have, I, you know, back up a little bit because I have written screenplays um, for myself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, two two original screenplays and then two rewrites on projects that that didn't happen. But uh, so i I've learned too that I actually really do enjoy. Writing and and I love the words and so, um, I would I would make if I if I thought like a line of dialogue was clever or smart or whatever I wouldn't I wouldn't change it to to make it fit I'd change the drawing to oh, it, right. that, that's, to, that's... to fit the clever dialogue or yeah. what yeah. I've to be clever but, yeah yeah
3: and um, you're you're coloring your work as well now actually. yeah
2: I, well I'm going to try uh, I'm, I'm I'm sort of experimenting now and doing sort of a painted thing and. And there's a lot of artists that are doing some really cool stuff. I'm completely blanking his name, who does Harrow County. Uh, Tyler Crook. Yeah. So his work is yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah.
3: yeah. You guys kind of have a similar thing. look
1: going, too.
2: Well, let's face facts. I'm, I'm a white guy with a shaved head, a beard, and glasses. There's about five million of them. They me. look
3: like they're, they're that weird, <laughs> rare animal that looks like a healthy, not dying person in comics. Oh, <laughs> yes. There you go. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the same loving smile.
2: Oh, yeah. there you go. But we do have the same editor, Daniel, over at Dark Horse. So. Okay.
3: Yeah. okay, yeah, the Shabon.
2: Yeah. Sh- Shabon, I guess it's Shabon.
3: I'd like to pronounce it my own way. And yes. I asked
2: him. I, 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 I thought it was Shabon, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to ask him. Cause, mm-hmm. And then he's like, yeah, no, everyone says it wrong.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I'm going to wind us up. Okay. Um, Troy, thank you for coming and joining us today. Well, thank Making you. The commute from the north side of Vancouver that's to the right. downtown
2: core it cost me four dollars to get over here. <laughs> I'm not giving you a
1: bus no, ticket. that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I do have them in my office. <laughs> um, so, your new stuff you have coming out is the this most recent issue of Dark Horse Presents. Yeah, and the yeah, Black Sinister. Too.
2: Yeah, and it runs oh, over yeah. the next the next six months. Oh, so wow. six issues. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: Nice, nice. Yeah, and Troy did a fantastic thing They're going to be running an island fairly soon. Yeah, there we go. Yes.
2: So lots
1: of stuff, lots of stuff coming up for me in 2017. So a disclosure that we should have mentioned earlier is Brandon is uh, Troy's editor on a project. Not really. That's a disclosure. Yes. I, I don't edit that. guys <laughs> like Troy. I just kind of tell them that will Okay, Brandon's giving Troy <laughs> pages. That's right. There or you Troy's go. Troy's giving Brandon pages. Yeah. There's a professional relationship there. <laughs> uh, thank you so much Troy and thank you guys good luck on the move to Alberta
2: I appreciate it
4: I live in the cemetery Old oh, caretaker they call me in the winter time I rake the leaves and in the summer I cut the weeds when a funeral comes the people cry and pray they bury their dead Then they all go away And here I work And I somehow hide From a world that rushes by outside But each night when I rest my head I'm contented as the peaceful dead But who's gonna cry when old John dies? Who's gonna cry when old John dies? Once I was a young man Dashing with the girls Now no one wants an old man I lost my handsome curls But I want to say When my time comes Lay me facing the rising sun Put me in a corner where I buried my pup Tell the preacher to pray Then cover me up don't plant flowers where my head should be maybe god would let some grow from me and all the little children that i love like my own will they be sorry that old john's gone who's gonna cry when old john dies who's gonna cry when old john dies